The following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass. Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Come, Holy Ghost, fill the hearts of thy faithful, and kindle them the fire of thy love. Set forth thy spirit, and they shall be created, and thou shalt renew the face of the earth. Let us pray, O God, who didst instruct the hearts of thy faithful by the light of the Holy Ghost. Grant us by that same spirit to be truly wise, and ever to rejoice in his consolation. Through Christ our Lord, amen. May the divine assistance remain always with us. And may the souls of the faithful departed through the mercy of God rest in peace. Amen. And O Mary, seat of wisdom, pray, pray for, for us. us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Hello, and welcome to What Catholics Believe. I'm your host, Thomas Nagley, and with me tonight is Father William Jenkins. He's a member of the Society of St. Pius V. He's also the pastor of Immaculate Conception Church right here in Norwood, Ohio. Hello, Father. How are you? Very fine, Tom. Thank you. How are you doing? Well, Father, thanks for being here. You're very welcome. Thank you. I think I've got some of my voice left. It's good. Good news for some, bad news for others. But, uh, great. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, Father, we've got uh, several things to get into tonight. But the first thing, we've, we've kind of had this on the back burner for a while, is we received several requests for you to comment on Benedict's uh, recent letter concerning the scandal, the, the abuse crisis in the, in the Novus Ordo Church right now. And um, Father, I, I personally suffered through most of the uh, most of the, the lengthy letter that that Benedict wrote, and I can just tell you, it's it's rife with modernism. Every, every sentence, practically, I think, perfectly perfectly describes the modernist modernist position, the modernist mindset. But the real the real gist of the letter, Father, is uh, what Benedict is saying is essentially that the the abuse crisis, everything that's happening now, all of the scandal, all of that is simply a result of the cultural revolution of the 1960s era. Benedict says, yes, we we were we were you know I was personally in charge of Novus Ordo Church, yet I, I was powerless to do anything against this. This everything that happened is simply just a natural consequence of this great cultural revolution where all of the societal, all, all of the sexual norms and everything were just totally, totally overthrown, totally in, inverted and all of this. So what, what is your take on this idea, Father, of, of Benedict saying this, that, that that is the, you know, that is the, the um, that that's the problem. It's just this, this cultural revolution of the 1960s and he was powerless to do anything against it. I think it's a shameful admission. Uh, I think it is uh, a statement of abdication of the church um, and of him, of Benedict personally, that he could not, uh, by the power of God's grace, working through the church, uh, not only withstand this onslaught of hellish influence on earth, but actually overcome it and drive it back. And this is the purpose of the church, right? So... Uh, if, if he didn't have the power of God's grace working with him, through him, and in the church that he governed, then that's a very damning admission on his part. And you'd think if he had any sense, he'd, he'd realize that. Right. You'd think he'd be embarrassed. Even if he thought it was true, you'd think he'd be embarrassed to admit it. So I, I just don't understand the thinking on the subject. Uh, well, I do. It's modernism. It comes down to modernism again. Modernists say things that any thinking person would be embarrassed to say. But um, 
So basically, he was saying that the the, the cultural uh, developments at the time um, simply swamped the church. Right. And as you know, Paul VI uh, earlier commented, the uh, the uh, smoke of Satan had filled the sanctuary again. You know, another admission. You know, and, and who's responsible? Well, of course he is. But I, I think it's also interesting that he he. They, the people wanted to interpret this. Some people wanted to interpret Benedict's letter as a rebuke to Francis and as a counterpoint to Francis because Francis is, is touting this absurd line that the problem with the homosexual onslaught in the Novus Ordo Church is due to clericalism, which is, uh, is, it is absolute nonsense, patent nonsense. And here Benedict comes out and says, no, there was this homosexual, what, what was the word he used? Uh, almost a, a cabal or a, a, you click. Know, a click in the seminaries uh, that caused this damage within the church. And so they're trying to cite Benedict against Francis. You know, But uh, neither statement is really adequate to address the issue. Uh, and the issue really comes down to that the Novus Ordo hierarchy is rancid with homosexuality right now. And uh, Francis, who has just come out with new norms now for reporting abuse, uh, norms that, that basically have require the lower clergy to report cases of abuse to the Novus Ordo bishops, which has been the problem all along, because these are the ones who are protecting this whole thing. These are the ones who are incubating this whole problem. These are the ones, ultimately Francis himself, promoting these homosexual uh, clergy, notably priests and cardinals, into their positions in the Novus Ordo Church. Um, so there's no doubt, uh, Father Rueda, years ago, Enrique Rueda wrote The Homosexual Net Network, and uh, this book really blew this story wide open, as it were, way back before anybody else was writing about it. And Father Rueda was writing about what he'd personally seen. And so 20 years later, when it became, uh, you know, the, the chickens had come home to roost, so to speak, and it could no longer be hidden, okay, it became very obvious even here in Cincinnati when uh, Archbishop Belarchik had to stand before a courtroom in uh, a judge in Cincinnati and plead guilty to covering this up. But he didn't plead guilty as though he were the guilty one. He, he blamed the church, as it were, saying the archdiocese, the Catholic archdiocese of Cincinnati, was the guilty party in covering up this abuse. And uh, now, you know, we had the, the current uh, conflagration, starting with the Pennsylvania Grand Jury Report, and uh, it's all back in the news again. And Francis is um, is keeping it there and actually using it for his own purposes, because he's trying to destroy any idea of what it is to be a clergyman. He's not, you know, it's not a matter of clericalism. He's trying to destroy the whole idea of a clergy, and a clergy uh, that actually uh, forms a hierarchy of the church. Mm -hmm. He is trying to reconstitute the church, trying to tear down the traditional Catholic church, all the vestiges that remain. And he wants to build his church in his own image and likeness of his own, his own corrupt um, modernist thought. 
one of those helping him, one of his right-hand man, kind of the dark shadow in all this, is Maradiago, uh, Oscar uh, Maradiaga down in Honduras. And here's a man, too. He's one of the, the original nine who were named by Francis to this council to help him basically redesign the government of the church, Francis's church. And now there are six of them. Three of them have uh, resigned. Most of those uh, named to the original Council of Nine have, have uh, been in the news because their own seminaries and dioceses are rancid with homosexuality, and they've been accused, again, of covering that up, and not only covering it up, but actually promoting it within, within their own seminaries and, and trying to stifle the seminarians who would reveal it. But Arriaga tops the list here. He's sometimes considered to be like a shadow pope for Francis. You know, uh, you know something curious about this whole thing, which relates to our last program. Uh, Vice President uh, Pence said that he was told by, I think it was uh, an official, it might have been the president of uh, Honduras, for all I know. But in any case, he was told by uh, a high official in South America that Maduro in Venezuela was sending these waves of immigrants up to our gates to the south here in Mexico. And uh, Maduro vehemently denies that, says it's absolutely not true. And I, I'm inclined to believe him because it makes much more sense to me, in light of especially Francis sending $500,000 worth of aid to the caravans arriving. Notice the, the point of origin of those caravans is Honduras. We're talking about the Hondurans actually being the, the, the kind of the, uh, the, uh, the wellsprings of this, of this uh, veritable stampede, as it were, uh, that show up by the tens of thousands at, the, uh, at our borders to the south. I wouldn't be a bit surprised to find out that Maradiaga is behind it. And in fact, I'd be very surprised to find out that Maradiaga, the cardinal, friend of Francis, the collaborator of Francis, is not the principal mover behind it, and his friend George Soros funding it. So uh, I would suggest that if somebody really wants to investigate uh, where, where this is uh, originating, I'd suggest they check on the doorstep of Maradiaga down in Honduras. Right. But again, uh, they all have an agenda, don't they? They all have the leftist leftist agenda together. So, uh, in any way, in any case, Tom, um, with regard to Francis, going back to Benedict's letter, uh, there's there's a great tussle going on now among the conservative Novus Ordo writers uh, as to whether Francis is truly the Pope or Benedict's Pope, as though <laughs> Benedict did not really resign, as though Benedict had resigned only the ministry, but not the office. And they, they, right. they, uh, they're contortionists. They're intellectual contortionists to try to determine exactly what's going on there. But, th but they're driven by this horror that is coming, that is in the Vatican now, and what is happening uh, to the church that they believe really is the Catholic church. And, um, they, they're at a loss to explain how this can be. But finally, some of them are coming to the conclusion, well, we just have to accept the fact that Francis is the Pope 
and there's nothing we can do about it, and he can do whatever he wants. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is the problem that uh, they they actually betrayed the souls of all of these people into the hands of the modernists by saying that. You know, this, the city of Acontis, whom they deplore, whom they, Hillary Clinton, they call the deplorables, I guess, uh, uh, the city of Acontis say, but a true pope cannot do such things. And these conservative Novatoro types come back and say, but Francis is the true pope, and he's doing these things, which shows no logic whatsoever. It doesn't even address the question, right? It begs the question. And uh, the consequence of what they're doing is starting from the point that Francis is the Pope. He is he's a true Pope. You cannot question that. Whatever other conclusions you draw must be drawn from that truth. You must not question whether Francis is a, is a true Pope. And it's, it's troubled me for some time that we have um, the, the label Sadie Vacantist used so freely, so irresponsibly, so inexactly to apply to a whole range of views from people who just question whether Francis is the Pope to those who dogmatically deny it, which I don't think you can do as a Catholic. Um, but we've had no real name for those who, on the other side of the coin here who insist that Francis is a Pope and must be the Pope, and he has the power to do what he's doing, so be quiet, and we just have to stand back and watch him do it. If he's hacking the church up uh, with his ecclesiastical machete, we just have to say, well, he's the Pope, so he has every right to do this. Um, but I think I, I've actually hit upon a name for them. Uh -uh. Yes, that, that actually at least satisfies me. Uh, we have the state of Acontis on the one hand, uh -huh. which needs a lot of explanation as to what it means, obviously. Mm -hmm. But I think we have the city negantists. City negantis. Because negans, negantis in Latin means denying, deniers, are they those who deny. And uh, the reason why I think that applies to them so well is because Francis is the head city negantist. He denies the papacy, he rejects the papacy, the papacy of St. Peter. Uh, he is the modernist pontiff. He has actually explained to us his, his concept of the papacy. It is not the Catholic teaching on the papacy. It's not the papacy of Peter. It's not the papacy established by Jesus Christ. And so P Peter uh, Francis is the one who starts denying the papacy. And he actually is in the process now of destroying every vestige of the true papacy, and replacing it with his distorted, modernist, corrupt, satanic idea of a, of a papacy that is actually um, just sort of ruling uh, the faithful as its mouthpiece and um, of the liberals, the leftists. And um, as you know from our last program, he, he, uh, he's called for a world police force uh, to and, and, enforce the rulings of the United Nations and world governing bodies. So he's coming for a one world government. And, uh, but all of those who follow Francis, all of those who, who say he, he is the Pope, and no matter what he does or what he says, you can't change that. He's the Pope and he has the power to do what he's doing. They are the ones who are, who are putting 
the weapon in his hand to execute the church. Okay, They are enabling him. They're empowering him to do, uh, to carry out this murder of the church. Um, and to the extent that they do that, they are saying to God this, they are with him in destroying the papacy. Mm-hmm. You know, the, um, you know, our, my position is, and I, I think many others in the world today, if you ask them, well, what do you think of Francis? Most, I think most traditional Catholics would say, well, we just don't know, you know, we don't know how can he be the Pope? How could he really be this vicar of Christ on earth and do the things he's doing? I think most people uh, have the sense that there's a problem, okay, a serious problem, which is a, an existential problem with regard to, regard to the papacy and somebody holding the office of the Pope. And, you know, all one has to do is acknowledge that there is a legitimate doubt it's all one has to do. Acknowledge there's a legitimate doubt about the papacy of Francis. One does, doesn't even have to deny it. One just has to say, well, you know, intellectually speaking, there's a legitimate reason for questioning whether he really is the Pope. And immediately you take from him all the power to do the damage he does. Immediately you deprive him of the power because it, it calls into question the legitimacy of all that he does. Right. So um, I, I, I just hope and pray that those who are, uh, it seems to be wanting to go crashing down in flames with Francis, um, uh, that, that they will come to their, their, their senses and realize, their Catholic senses, the senses Catholics, and realize there is a legitimate doubt here. And we cannot empower him to do what he's doing and say, well, the Pope is doing this, so he has the right to do it, the power to do it, and we have to respect it. We have to go along with it. We don't. We have an obligation to oppose it. As St. Robert Bellarmine, whose feast day was just recently, told us, we have to oppose it. We have to refuse to to carry out his commands, and we have to... impede the, the, the execution of his, of, his, of his orders. That's right. And, and Father, as far as um, this idea that you talked about of, of uh, essentially pitting Francis against Benedict, I think reading this letter, it's, it's clear that that is absolutely not what's happening. In fact, that, uh, Benedict ends his letter by, uh, with a whole paragraph thanking Francis for the, the wonderful work, the wonderful job he's done. And I think anyone who has even the most basic understanding of modernism can read through what Benedict writes in this letter. And you can see so many parallels between what he says and what Francis says. Sure, it might not be exactly the same language. It might uh, come across on the surface a little differently. But at the bottom of what both of these men are saying is essentially the exact same thing, and that is perfect, perfect modernism. And this seems almost diabolically clever to me to have this kind of a more conservative, if you could call him that, Benedict wing in order to to woo the conservatives, mm-hmm. and then a more liberal Francis to, to try and get both sides when really, sure, it sounds on the surface like they're preaching different things, but... It, when you get to the bottom of it, it's the same doctrine. It's modernist. Well, read the Pashendi of St. Pius X, and he does say the modernists do exactly that. They play both sides. Mm-hmm. Okay. But, and I, I, I agree with you at one point, but there is one, one point that I think people might disagree. Okay. I mean, I, I agree with you when, when Benedict says that, well, it was just the 1960s. It was a cultural revolution in the 1960s. The church was caught in that, and that's what happened. Mm-hmm. 
uh, to the church, uh, church got swept away with that. Well, remember when the so-called abuse crisis first became known, even back in the 1990s, right? Um, the statement was made, well, only about 4% of the priests of the church are actually indulging in this. Um, and that's about the standard for the population in general. So we can say that no more of the Catholic priests are doing this, percentage-wise, or per capita, than the rest of the world's population. And uh, which, again, you know, the modernists give that as though it's an answer. To, uh, it answers the question. It's an outrageous answer that the Catholic priests are no better than anybody in the street. You know, anyone, an atheist or a, or a, anyone. Well, right. it's modernism, you know, Father, because that's what modernism is, is, is following the modern. I mean, if this yeah. is what the modern uh, society is doing, why not the, the priest just follow along? Sure, it's all part of the overall big picture. Right, right yeah. Sure. The modernist. But, but the problem was they were saying 80% of the bishops were covering it up. Now, that's pretty... That's pretty bad. That's pretty serious. This was back in the 1990s. They were acknowledging. There were those who were coming out and saying that 80% of the bishops were actually covering up these 4% of the, the clergy and shuffling them around. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is this is what it comes down to. Modernism? Absolutely. Okay. Benedict, Francis, they, they're they together in that understanding. And it's not a problem for them. They They... They don't seem to have a problem. Francis, in fact, is is uh, promoting through the ranks those who have protected this this uh, this perversion, and it's almost as though it's a it's a uh, it's a job requirement of Francis to be promoted to the level of a bishop or an archbishop or a cardinal that you have involvement, you know, in this in this perversion. Uh, which says a, a great deal about Francis. But the question of this, when Benedict says the homosexual cliques in the seminaries, okay? Now, I don't recall Francis using that expression. And I think that's what people latched onto to say, well, look, this sets Francis uh, and Benedict apart from each other. That Francis says clericalism and Benedict comes out and actually talks about the homosexual cliques that took control in the seminaries. Do you see a problem? Do you see a difference there? No. You don't? Okay. Curious. I mean, I don't either, but I, I'm just saying that this is, I think, what drew people's attention to say, look, Benedict is saying what Francis would not. Hmm. But what, what, what's the difference? I think the difference, uh, for one thing, is that Francis has had his his, uh, what he calls his synods, and he had the synod youth that he was talking about um, the abuse and how we deal with abuse, right? Mm -hmm. And he said nothing about homosexuality, not one word about homosexuality and that whole charade. Mm -hmm. It was about uh, abuse of children, right. okay, minors. Right. Uh, and now, now that he comes out with his new norms, Francis is, okay? okay. He says that what's to be reported is the abuse of a minor, a child. He does not require reporting, and even doesn't necessarily name it as a sin or a crime, consenting adults, males, engaging in uh, impure activity, homosexual activity. That is not included in the necessity of reporting in his new norms, mm -hmm. see? 
But but Benedict did single out homosexual cliques in the seminary. Mm-hmm. I think that in many people's minds s- separated what he said from what Francis is purveying right now. But I think that's a very, very superficial thing to do, Father, because, you know, as you pointed out so many times on the program, it's not homosexuality is not the problem. It's it's simply a, it, modernism is the problem. And th- this is this is just a, a natural result of that problem. And so, yeah, I think there are so many uh, conservative Novus Ordo Catholics who are who are searching for some kind of explanation of this. And they just love to latch on to this idea of, oh, yeah, it's, it's homosexualism. That's that's the problem. And they, they cannot seem to acknowledge the fact that modernism is the problem, because like you've said so many times how so many conservative Novus Ordo Catholics, they, they place all of their all of their faith and all of their hope in, in Francis and in the papacy and, and his office and not in, in the real traditional Catholic faith. And so they, they think, you know, if there's this this failure there, if there's this mo- if he was a modernist, if he was really not a traditional Catholic, that would we would lose all of our faith. We wouldn't have anything to believe in. Mm-hmm. So rather than, than believing in, in our Lord and his religion, they believe in Francis and his religion. And so they just love yeah. to, to find something to blame it on. And I think that's how much right, right. It becomes not uh, the office, but the man. And they can't distinguish between the two right. uh, in the end. But, you know, one has to be very careful about saying, and I have said this before, that the ultimate problem is not homosexuality. The ultimate pro- in the church and the clergy mm-hmm. Of the Novus Ordo, the ultimate problem is modernism. One has to be careful because one can die of pneumonia, but the pneumonia was caused by some other problem. Sure. And uh, homo- the, uh, modernism destroys the church's immune system against the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, modernism basically uh, turns the church into a veritable petri dish for the microbes of the world. Okay, where they can grow and foster and thrive. Uh, what it is that actually kills you might be a secondary or third, uh, you know, level right. effect of the original problem. So, um, you know, homosexuality, I don't mean to, to minimize the problem, and you don't either, I know, but we need to understand what we mean, and I'm sure it's what we both mean. We say that homosexual is not the problem. Right. Okay, the problem that has allowed the homosexuals to to swamp the church and just take over the hierarchy mm-hmm. from top to bottom, practically. Yeah. And there are those who are not actively involved in that. And so maybe there are those who are not covering it up, although I tend to think that the way it's been, it's hard to imagine any bishop being free from having, you know, totally innocent of uh, uh, having covered that up. Um but I would say um, modernism is what has allowed the enemy to, to do this to the church. Mm-hmm. And this homosexual problem, you know, this is one of the four sins that cried to heaven for vengeance. So it definitely is something that, that needs to be fought. It's something admirable to fight it. I just, uh, it seems that there's so many conservatives who, um, they just, they stop there. And they don't get to the root of the, prob- the, root of the problem. And they just, they spend their lives fighting the symptom of the problem. And they never get beyond that. So it's a very, very unfortunate situation. Well, from Francis right on through all of us, the ranks of all of his cardinals, they all say the same things. Mm-hmm. There might be an, an exception here or there, mm-hmm. but uh, when they speak up, they, they talk about how doctrine is something that is of secondary importance. One of the cardinals actually came out and said so. He said, 
the doctrinal problems we're facing now are not really that important. What's important is that we engage the world. You know, I couldn't think of a better way of putting what they're doing right now. Because next month, Francis is going to unveil the work of this council that has been busy for some years now to redesign the church, right? And they are going to come out with a, the, the so-called super dicastery, um, which is the, uh, well, I guess the Congregation for the Evangelization of Peoples, right? And that is going to absorb the old Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, which is now going to be sort of a, 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 a footnote, right, contained within that. The matter of doctrine is going to become secondary at best. And that whole super dicastery of the congregation of people is going to take over all of the operation of the church's work in the world. And it's going to be about the agenda of the leftists, global warming, climate change, deforestation, socialism, the condemnation of capitalism. It's all going to be about that. That's going to be the new, talk about the social gospel, come home with a vengeance, right? Everything is going to be subordinated to that. And it's ironic that just before uh, announcing this, this new super dicastery that is going to put the church on this trajectory of the Masons, the Kabbalists of the world, Francis says, we, now we need a world police force to enforce this. Remember when he, when he got together with the imam and they were all chummy and they put out the statement that, you know, God wills this diversity of religions. Yeah. And then, of course, Francis Mealy mouths around about that and says, well, I meant that God puts, tolerates that, that God that, you know, finds it as uh, his, his resigned will. You know, it. now Francis has again come out and said that, that the diversity of religion is the wealth of humanity. So he makes it very clear it's a positive good. It's a heresy, right. right? No matter how he may dance around it when he's pressed right. by a by a Bishop Schneider or an Archbishop Cardinal Bird, he's going. He's he's a heretic, right? And and I believe in that when uh, when Bishop Schneider met with them and questioned yeah. them about this, confronted them with with this idea, uh, Bishop Schneider kind of gave him the answer almost and said, "Did you mean that that God mm -hmm. wills this with His permissive will?" Mm -hmm. And Francis' answer was, "Yes, you can say that. You can say that. You can say That's that. Right. Uh, it's." I, I just, Typical modernist response. Uh, right? Well, Francis has just come out and announced that the diversity of religions, with Christ, without Christ, with a false Christ, that's the wealth of humanity. Well, okay? And um, the, the idea that they are going to squelch doctrine, notably Catholic doctrine, of course, and they're going to put the social agenda on the, on the front burner and then call for some kind of police force to to you know actually enforce it at the end of a bayonet. That's pretty pretty frightening. It should be frightening for people who understand what leftism is. Mm -hmm. And uh, Francis is, of course, the leftist in chief, right? Right. Well, hey, Father, that uh, that almost sounds like a, uh, a certain country um, with which the Vatican has been attempting to. Uh, enter into negotiations with. So I think that leads nicely into our, our next topic, which um, was an interview in the uh, the Global Times with uh, Cardinal Caroline. And it's it's about this um, 
this relationship between the, uh, the the Chinese and the and the Vatican and this this great uh, deal that they're trying to work out. And so the uh, the interviewer asks asks about this this dialogue and and how it's proceeding. And uh, Cardinal Perlin his response is that quote there is confidence that a new phase of greater cooperation can be opened for the good of the Chinese Catholic community and the harmony of the whole society. The channels of communication are working well. There are elements which demonstrate an increased trust between the two sides. We are inaugurating a method which appears positive and which will still have to be developed over time, but which for now gives us hope that we can gradually arrive at concrete results. So, Father, it seems that this agreement is humming right along. Um, that statement by uh, so-called Cardinal Perlin, who is the Secretary of State for Francis, might as well have been stated by a Communist Party official. It could come straight out of the Communist Party of China. Uh, perfect propaganda. Mm-hmm. Okay. By the way, who was the point man for Francis before Cardinal Perlin now has uh, spoken up? Who, who was the one who actually was dealing with China? Who was the emissary to China working with the Communist Chinese? Was that Zen? No, no. It was McCarrick. Oh. Theodore McCarrick. None, none other than the famous Theodore McCarrick. Good guy. Uh, who was the one who was working behind the scenes for years, going to communist China, meeting with communist officials, to try to work out a deal between the Vatican and the communist Chinese party uh, to betray those who still had the faith in China into the hands of the communists. And now we're reading daily the oppression that these people are feeling. Uh, And they they are being, the communists are trying to crush them. And this is the kind of statement you get coming out of uh, out of uh, Francis's Vatican, the Secretary of State. Pure propaganda. Okay. It's very cynical propaganda. Well, who was the one uh, Archbishop of Sarandon? Was that his name? Who said that in, in, in China we find the, the most perfect implementation of the Church's social doctrine. That's right. Can you imagine a statement like that? Um, inconceivable. Uh, but uh, again, I mean, just perfect communist propaganda coming out of the mouths of the Nova Servo clergy, Francis's clergy. Uh, another another quote from here. The interviewer asks if um, if there are certain areas in which the two sides can work together. You know, kind of what what exactly are we talking about? And uh, Perlin says, as I pointed out before today, many global challenges exist which need to be faced with a spirit of positive cooperation. I'm thinking in particular of the great issues of peace the fight against poverty, environmental and climatic emergencies, migration, the ethics of scientific development, and the economic and social progress of peoples. This perfectly parallels what we talked about last week with the uh, the Amazon Senate, where, where their topics of, of discussion are, you know, deforestation, poverty, climate change, and all this. The you know, one word about faith, no, charity, all, the sanctification of the soul, right. all eternal of, life. Yeah, he, he lists a, a whole, uh, just a whole smorgasbord of, of issues here. It's the gospel. Of this world. It's the gospel of the world. That's uh, yeah. just absolutely a uh, The Masons would be proud of that. You know, they can certainly embrace that. That's right. Father, he, he ends here um, with uh, the interviewer asks, do you have a particular message for the Chinese people and its leaders? And this is the, the quote here. He says, I would like to send uh, to the leaders, but also to the people of China, the greetings, best wishes, and prayers of Pope Francis. 
the Holy Father asks Catholics in particular to undertake with courage the path of unity, reconciliation, and a renewed proclamation of the gospel. Get this. He sees China not only as a great country, but also as a great culture, rich in history and wisdom. China, a great country, Father. Mm -hmm. Well, communist China. Communist China. Communist China. Mm -hmm. And Father, I had a great... Uh, As though the Communist Chinese, the, the Communist Party of, the, of China represents the culture of the Chinese people. Okay. Father, I have a great uh, quote here in a recent news article from the uh, the, the Chinese president. Um, he was speaking, uh, I believe, at a, uh, at a college over there. And he said, uh, quote, In contemporary China, the essence of patriotism is to combine one's love for the country mm -hmm. with love for the party and socialism. Right. Chinese youth in the new era shall listen to the words of the party and follow the steps of the party. That is the religion of communism. And this is what Francis is so excited mm -hmm. to... It shouldn't be surprising, though, Tom. When you realize Francis himself is a dyed-in-the-wall socialist, right? Mm -hmm. And he wants world authority uh, with um, punitive powers that can actually enforce worldwide socialism. So... Uh, the fact that he's doing this in a communist China is uh, basically just a, uh, it's a first step for him, right? What he's doing in China, he wants to happen throughout the world. Okay. Um, so, um, people who, who want to insist that what he's doing, he has the authority from heaven to do, are uh, making a terrible, a very tragic mistake. They've got to. Uh, they've got to uh, realize that it is a mistake and uh, change change course here. Mm -hmm. they, he cannot. No one can have the authority of heaven to do what he's doing. It's attacking the church okay. at every turn. He wants to obliterate the church. A very wise gentleman I know uh, told me that uh, early on in Francis's uh, rampage, I won't call it a reign. I'll call it a rampage. Um, that the Novus Ordo Popes up until then had been doing everything they could to destroy faith, but Francis seems hell-bent on destroying the church as an institution. And that, that harkens back to the statement of Voltaire, that he wanted to erase from the earth the very memory of Christ. Uh, why? Well, he himself made an act of faith there. Voltaire, of all people, who hated Christ, hated the church, says that if we allow even the memory of Christ to remain, that memory will rise from the dead, and the faith will rise from the dead, the church will rise from the dead. That takes a lot of faith to believe that, because there are a lot of Catholics now who are questioning if the faith can survive, and if the church itself can survive. Well, those who want to betray the church into the hand of her enemies, and uh, say that her, the chief modernist uh, Francis is the vicar of Christ on earth, and what he's doing, he's doing with the, with the authority of Christ behind him. Um, they might well question, you know, um, if they believe that this really is the authority, authority of Christ tearing down his own church through Francis. If they believe that, they might well question whether the church will survive. But for those of us who know better than that, by the grace of God, and, and realize this cannot be the work of God, what Francis is doing, uh, but this is the work of Satan. Uh, that we know the church will will definitely survive. The faith will survive. 
and will flourish. In the end, Our Lady's Immaculate Heart will triumph. Um, but our mission right now has to be, number one, to uh, be true to the faith. We have to hold on to the faith ourselves and never waver in our conviction of the doctrines of the faith, every single one. Um, all of the teachings of the extraordinary magisterium, but all of the teachings of the ordinary magisterium, too. We hold these as, as infallibly true. We have to maintain an invincible hope in Christ and a, a love for our Lord that is growing. We can't be satisfied with loving him enough. Thinking we love God enough is to basically say we don't love him at all. Because if one really has any love for God, it's never enough, right? One can never love God as he deserves to be loved because he is infinite goodness. So every one of us should aspire to love him more and ultimately to love him with our whole hearts and minds and souls and strength. That is the objective that finally will bring us to heaven itself, okay? That perfect love for God that only God can work in the soul by grace. So it should be the agenda of every single one of us, I say agenda singular, for each and every single one of us, to uh, cooperate with the God's grace, um, to, to hold the faith and hope and charity, and to practice the faith. That's what the religion is. That's the traditional Catholic religion we have to practice. And uh, regardless of, of any other voices, any dissenting voices, or anyone saying, you can't do that, that's not allowed, Hold fast to the traditional Catholic faith. That's the only sanctuary there is in the world right now. And um, that, that, that is what will triumph in the end. Okay. But just to come full circle on everything, France, or rather Benedict, in, in the end of his letter that we've been mentioning, his, his solution to everything is, uh, is simply love. You know, he, he, talks, he talks about the, uh, the dignity of man. Those are the words of a scoundrel. And all of this, but it, it's tell it's, him to define that exactly. He ask him what he means by that. He'll he'll use the same words that you just used, and yet he means exactly the opposite thing. Where you talk about this great love for God and love for the traditional Catholic religion, he talks about the love of man mm -hmm. and, and fighting the, these issues, the, right. these worldly issues, and the love of man, the love of this world. And I think um, that's just the perfect juxtaposition that's between modernism. traditionalism and modernism. That, that is the faith of modernism, which is the religion of Vatican II. Right. Yeah, that's a good point, Tom. Yeah. He just replaces God with man. That's what they that's, do. That's modernism. Okay. Well, Father, I think we can end with that. We have uh, several more topics in the works. I know um, we have received uh, several requests from viewers concerning um, an update on the vaccine mm -hmm. question. We've received se several uh, videos and an article. Uh, links viewers have sent us some very good information. Yes, yes. Uh, that do require comment. So we can't just leave it the way it is. We right. So I really appreciate sending that information. We need our viewers who are interested to send us information that is very helpful. So I appreciate mm -hmm. that. Definitely. Well, Father, thanks for being here tonight. I appreciate your time. God bless you. You're very welcome, Tom. Thank you, too. God bless you. Thank you to all of our viewers as well viewers, yeah. for watching this episode of What Catholics Believe. Until next time, we ask that you all remember the words of Our Lady at Fatima to consecrate yourselves and your families to the Immaculate Heart of Mary to pray and do penance. Thank you, and God bless you.